Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. So we are now going to study James chapter 4. We've been going through verses 1 through 6. And we're going to start into verse 7. Now you have to remember, before we get into the text of verse 7, we have to kind of talk about why we're in chapter 4. This is James. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to all the Jews that are living in the the diaspora or the dispersed Jews around the area. And these are people that perhaps lived in Jerusalem at one time or associated with Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem church was the first church in the Christian church. It wasn't Rome. It was Jerusalem. And the first bishop in Jerusalem was James, the guy who's writing this letter. But he's writing to all the different dispersed Jews who are living around. So he's talking to them. But in verse in chapter 4, he's, apparently there's conflict going on. And so he's speaking about these little congregations that are dispersed that are experiencing conflict. Now, I know it's hard to imagine that there was conflict in the early church, but there was conflict in the early church because there's conflict in every church. Because when you're dealing with human beings, conflict is inevitable. And... So what James is doing in chapter four is is diagnosing the problem. He's identifying the problem, that there's conflict. He's diagnosing the problem. Why is there conflict? And then he's going to tell us what to do about the conflict. That's kind of what the structure of, of, of chapter four is. And so when we go back... He said, I understand there's conflicts among you. Uh, why, why are there conflicts among you, he says. And what causes fights and quarrels among you? And he says, don't they come from the desires inside of you? It's pride. It's our will against God's will. That's what causes the, 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 the problem of conflict within us. And then yesterday or the day before, we talked about you adulterous people. Any conflict is like adultery. Because there's a fight inside you. You want to be friends with the world and follow the world and do what the world wants to do. Or you want to do what God wants you to do. You put your will aside and say, God, your will be done. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll follow you. And mature Christians spend time with God in study, in prayer, in in all of these things so that we can discern the will of God for our life and our community. And then we follow it. And if we simply all did that, if we simply all spent time with God in his word, in scripture, in prayer, in Bible study, trying to figure out what his will is and not our will is, then we probably would live in more peace and harmony. But what happens is pride gets in the way and we think that the that we need to be a certain way because of the world. And so we, we try to do more what the world does and then that causes conflict. We live in two kingdoms. We live in God's kingdom, which is with his will, but we also live in the earthly kingdom. And when those two things get mixed up or confused and we try to bring the worldly things into the kingdom stuff, that's where all the conflict comes from. But even the, but even the most beautiful, wonderful, deep, mature Christians are going to have conflict. If you'll remember back uh, in Acts, you have Paul and Barnabas. They had gone on a missionary journey together. Uh, Barnabas had a cousin, John Mark, that went with them. And something happened on that missionary journey where John Mark decided, I've had enough or, or something, and he left. 
And apparently it must have caused Paul a lot of stress because he's on this missionary journey. He's with Barnabas and they're planting churches. And then Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring my cousin, John Mark. Okay, let's bring John Mark. And so they bring John Mark. Something happens. There's conflict. John Mark says, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going home. Taking my marbles. I'm going home. He leaves. And Paul and Barnabas finish out the missionary journey. Well, they're getting ready to go on another missionary journey. And Paul uh, says, we're not taking John Mark. And Barnabas says, uh, yeah, he's my cousin. He's already been on a missionary journey. He knows how to do this stuff. He's matured. He's grown. He's ready to do this. And Paul's like, I don't think so. He left last time. I don't want him to come with us. And they have this argument. And they end up, surprisingly enough, Paul goes his way to do the missionary journey. And John Mark and Barnabas go their way. And they do a missionary journey. They actually split. I don't think we see necessarily how they get back together again in Scripture. They quite possibly could have. They would have known each other. But, but Scripture doesn't necessarily record that, which is interesting. But they don't go on the missionary journey together, which brings up an interesting point. So when there's conflict in the church, it, it, James is not saying here, stop the conflict. He's saying... Here's where the conflict is coming from. The conflict at its root is because it's your will and not God's will. That's basically where the conflict is coming from. And then he's going to tell us, hey, listen, this is how you solve the conflict in your life. Basically, make it about God's will and not your will. Be humble. Remember, we talked about that yesterday. God opposes the proud, but it shows favor to the, to the humble. Uh, it's adultery. Just humble yourself, follow God's will. That's that's the way to fight against this. But he doesn't say stop having conflict because you can't say that. You can't say to anybody, stop having conflict because conflict is inevitable. At some level, conflict is actually kind of healthy. What you don't want is somebody who, uh, you don't want to surround yourself, if you're a leader, you don't want to surround yourself with yes people. You want to have people that come up to you and challenge your decisions or challenge the things that you're talking about. So conflict at some level is healthy. So he's not saying stop the conflict. What he is saying is align yourself with the will of God and humble yourself so that you can listen to the voices around you. And, and then everybody moves forward with the best decision. That's basically how conflict can be useful. So that's basically the background to where we are in James 4. And now we're going to move into James 4. We finished verse 6. And so now we're going to just go into verse 7 of James 4, which reads like this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner. and Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy you. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So we've identified the problem. And where it comes from, the source of the problem, there's conflict. It comes from pride. And now James is going to talk about, all right, how do we, how do we solve this problem? 
Like if there's conflict and quarrels among you, what are you going to do about it? And James says, well, first of all, submit yourself to God. The song that comes to mind is Jesus, take the wheel. In other words, make it not about my will, God, but about your will. I'm done trying to make it about me. So why don't we just make it about you? And you tell me what you want to do, Lord, and I'll do it. I'm done fighting it. Just submit myself to you, Lord, and you tell me what it is to do. And God will do that. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And here's the beautiful, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in James. Drawn, it says, it's in this reading, it's come near to God and he will come near to you. But I love, uh, is it the King James or the old NIV that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In other words, make a concerted effort in your life to seek out the will of God using the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. And when you do that, God's Holy Spirit will help you and guide you and direct you through the power of his spirit, through the power of his word, the word that is that tells you and gives you information. Remember, the old in the old ancient days, God spoke through his prophets, but now he speaks through his son, and God speaks through his son through God's word. So studying God's word gives you the words of Jesus, spending time in prayer and silence and solitude with God's word, meditating on God's word day and night, having God fill you with his spirit, He will draw near to you and he will help you in your life and help you with your decisions and provide clarity to what you should be doing. These are things that Christians should be doing. If you never do this, if you never as a Christian spend time seeking God and his will for your life, guess what? It won't be revealed to you. But if you do spend time with God, seeking him, And trying to understand what his will for your life is, he will draw near to you. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. But you have to have an attitude of humility. You can't go to God and say, all right, God, I want to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Now, show me that you want me to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. No, that's not how it works, folks. In the real world with God, it's God, I completely submit myself to you. I know I want to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And God, I'd be really happy if you gave me one, two, three, one, two, and three. It would be really wonderful. But an attitude of humility is, God, I don't even have a one. Uh, the one for me, Lord, the only one for me is just let your will be done in my life. This is the prayer of Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? God, show me your will. Let me follow your will. Let me be, let it be all about you. Give me the power to resist the devil. And when you do that, Lord, I know that the devil will flee from me because he has no power over me. The only person that has power over me is you and your Holy Spirit. And when I come to you with that, how can the devil even get into my life? So uh, I'm, I'm through your power and in your spirit in me, we're resisting the devil and he's going to flee from me. Come near to you, Lord, and you will come near to me. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's a statement of humility. We all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all at some level have to wash our hands of the stain of original sin, of the sins that we do, the pride, the envy, the things that we have in our life. Lord, I'm going to wash my hands of those. And I know, Lord, that you will purify my heart. You will cleanse me. You will change me from a double-minded person, a person of the world, a person of the kingdom, to just a person of the kingdom. 
Grieve, mourn, and wail. That sounds kind of crazy, but when you come to an attitude of humility and have putting God first in your life, and you say, Lord, purify my heart. In order for God to purify your heart, you have to have this attitude of repentance, of sadness for what you have done, of how you've how you've really made it more about ourselves than it is about God. And so therefore we mourn, we wail, our laughter turns to mourning, our joy to gloom, because we're humbling ourselves before the Lord. But he will lift you up. He will take your your laughter that's turns to mourning and he'll turn it into something that's even better than laughter, something that's better than joy. And that is his joy, his laughter, his peace, his love that richly dwells inside of us that we can share with the world. That when you get to that point in your life, you are, you are a tool that God can do amazing things through. Because now it's not about your will, it's about God's will. And and those who have come to those that point in their life where God, it's not about me, it's about you. Very, very powerful kingdom types of things. Will there still be conflict? Absolutely, because I think Paul and Barnabas were these types of people. John Mark was probably this type of person too. At some level, we're all this. But as your roots go deeper and as your faith grows stronger, then you become more mature and you're just more useful to God to do these types of things. And I'm not talking about eternal salvation. I'm not talking about saving faith. I'm not talking about those types of things because once you're in the kingdom, you're in the kingdom and God, whatever faith you have is enough for him. He'll work with it. It's just that he wants you to grow deeper in your faith because it's just so much easier for him to do his hands and feet and the work in the world, the stronger your faith is. So that's why we as Christians should grow in our faith so that we are just more useful to God. So humble ourselves. Let God be the primary thing. And yes, there's going to be conflict, but how do you deal with conflict? By turning closer and deeper to God and letting him use you. And he goes on, he says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Do not slander one another. So even though Paul and Barnabas split ways, they did not slander one another. They didn't, Paul didn't say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. I think what they did is they said, I'm right for what I believe the kingdom needs to go, the direction we need to do. And you are right in the direction that you think this needs to go. So let's peaceably part companies. I'll do what I believe God's calling me to do. You do what God's calling you to do. And the kingdom will expand because it's about the kingdom. It's not about us individually. And at some level, it was probably true that if Paul Barnabas and John Mark went on this missionary journey and there was this simmering anger between Paul and John Mark, that the churches that they're planning would have noticed this anger and they would have said, I don't think this is healthy. So in a way, they were probably wise to just say, okay, we're going in our separate ways. The downside, of course, is that together they may have been more powerful. If they could have gotten through this, they could have been more powerful. The other good news is, is that now instead of doing two, one missionary journey, they're doing two. And at some point, Christians stand on their own two feet and they do the will of God. And they do the things that God's calling them to do in their life. And every Christian should should strive to attain the position like I'm going to be like a Paul, but I'm going to do it the way God's called me to do it. And I'm going to gather around me people 
to move forward into the kingdom. That is what the church is all about. You, you plant the seed, the seed grows, you train people in the ways of Jesus, and you even go on a missionary journey and they learn the ways of Jesus. But at some point, then they break away and they become their own missionaries for Jesus, doing their own work for Jesus, bringing around them people to teach these things, to teach the ways of Jesus. And then they, they, that's how the church expands. So at some level, John Mark was always going to be his own person, probably doing missionary work and writing gospels. So that is, that is, um, that is, it, there, there's always going to be conflict. You can't avoid it. And, and deeper Christians resolve the conflict by either deeply humil you know, humbling themselves before God, making about our will or saying, okay, it's time for us to, to do our own different things. And they do their own different things, respecting each other, not slandering one another, but respecting each other. Because if you speak against a brother or sister, you're judging them. You're saying that my way is better than your way. And that may not necessarily be true. This, this whole thing is like there's just one path forward to, to bring in the kingdom is not true. We pray, we ask God, we do what he's called us to do. To go against what God's called you to do is neither wise nor prudent. So when God reveals what he wants you to do in this world, you cannot go against it. If you go against it, you are going to be a double-minded person. You're going to struggle within your mind as a as to am I doing the right thing or not? Is this my will or is this God's will? And all that sort of thing. But when God clearly shows you the path that you need to go down, you simply cannot go against it. And that is, that is a deep spiritual truth that Christians must abide by. You can't go against God's will. And neither can other Christians. So if they feel like they know what God's will is, you cannot as a Christian say, okay, you are wrong and I'm right. What you can say is, this is what God's called me to do and I respect that this is what God's called you to do. And it appears to be two different directions. So let us go in peace and both serve God with joy. And But I'm not going to judge you. This is a hard concept because we believe we we create these organizations called little church congregations and we have a mission and a vision and a theology behind it. And it's so tempting for us to say ours is the only correct theology. And what is probably closer to the truth is to say this is how God has revealed it to us. This is how we see it. But the kingdom of God, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is bigger than just one local congregation. And so every congregation is at some point accountable to other congregations within the ecclesia, within the called church. And we should talk to those congregations and understand what they are doing and why they're doing it. And point out, if they're in error, we should point out, this is what Scripture says. I believe this is what God has revealed. And do those types of things. But the ultimate judge of any Christian or the ultimate judge of any congregation of Christians is God. And this is a hard concept for us. 
particularly when we see congregations that are way off the deep end. And there are some that are way off, at least the way I view it, my prideful, sinful way of viewing it. There are some congregations that are on way off on the deep end. And I'm like, that is not consistent with the word of God. And I can say words like that. I can say this: I, the way I see God's word, that is not consistent with the word of God. I do not believe that they are doing what scripture says. But what I cannot do is to ultimately judge them like will be at the end of time. The only person that can judge is the ultimate lawgiver, which is God. And God looks into these congregations. God looks into people's hearts, and he is the one that judges. And he's the one that condemns if there's a condemnation. There's only one lawgiver and one one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Only God can do those things. I cannot do those things. I can speak out against them. I can say it's not consistent with the word of God. I can say you need to really understand what God is saying about these things. But I cannot judge them. It was interesting. I was watching, oh, sometimes I channel surf on YouTube and uh, something will pop up. And it was a discussion at a church about how political a church should get. And this particular church was having a forum or discussion talking about how every church should get involved in politics and should take stands against certain issues and fight the political battles. This particular church was aligning itself with one of the political parties deeply aligning itself with one of the political parties saying we are we need to all be aligned with this political party and everybody on on the forum was talking about how yes christians need to align themselves with this political party and if we don't do this we're not following god's will and all that sort of thing and i found myself disagreeing with that because we are in the kingdom of god And no political party is going to be perfect. If you look at, if I look at my life, I'm going to say there are some things about this political party I agree with, and there's some things about this political party I agree with. So ultimately, when I go to the voters box, I only have two choices. I get this, well, you have more than two choices, right? You could align yourself with a political party that doesn't really have any power and will never be in power as long as we kind of have this two-party system. So you're forced by our kind of de facto system in the United States to align yourself with one of the two political parties. But that doesn't necessarily mean you agree with 100% of the platform of those political parties. And yet, if you're making a public stance, of, then you're, that's kind of what you're really saying. And I'm not sure, I'm just not sure the church wants to go down that path. Because, first of all, no political party is going to be perfect. And second of all, I'm not, I'm not sure God wants us to be to, to church congregations to be that way. Now, I'm not saying they can't. If that is the, if that is the stance that your party, that your church is saying, we, we're going to completely 100% align ourselves with this particular group, this political party, then you better work very, 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 very hard <coughs> within that political party to align itself with God's word, and which is very powerful and wonderful. They're never going to do it because there's just too many people and too many conflicting interests to be exactly aligned with God's word. So that's just not going to happen. So at some point, you're going to be aligning yourself with a flawed party that they can't be 100% aligned with God's word. 
And, and that might cause conflicts in other areas in your life. And it's something I've struggled with. Like how much should we, I, I believe as citizens of the world, of this country, we need to be involved politically. But, but I understand that God works in different people's lives. And the most important thing is God's kingdom and God's kingdom coming on this earth. And I'm not going to judge a person and say you are, if you go one way or a certain way, you're, you're going to be condemned for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. That's how these political parties want it to work. They want you to say that the other political parties garbage and junk and they're not, they're not worthy of, of God's love. And that's certainly not true either. So I don't know. That's uh, it's, I was just, I bring that up because that it was something I was watching. I thought that was really interesting. It's not how, I read scripture. God says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So yes, you can get involved in all these movements and and things like that on this earth. You should fight for justice and equity and all that in your individual life. And you should align yourself with organizations on this earth where we do that also. But when it comes right down to it, those are all earthly things and they're going to have earthly things associated with it. They're not, they're going to fall short of the glory of God. The only kingdom that truly is blessed and, and that God uh, reveals his spirit and works through and all that is his kingdom and his will. And, and that's, if you're going to, for me, if I'm going to spend time and effort and energy, it's going to be on that kingdom. And it's going to flow into and decide and em- emphasize and inform the other kingdom. But first and primary is the kingdom of God. And that's where my will should be aligned. And so that's kind of how I read scripture, which is why I don't necessarily talk politics as much as some other pastors do, just so you know, because I don't, I don't feel like that's my, my role. My role is more of informing uh, and, and giving you the tools and the resources so that you can make the decisions that God's leading you to make. And, um, Maybe that's foolish. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sinful human being, but that's just how I read scripture. And when you do that, of course, when you say it has to be this way, we have to align ourselves or we have to do these certain things, that's where the quarreling comes with because it's not God's will. It could be God's will, but it's, but it's more, these are the things we want to do. One, two, and three, four, five, six, and seven. All right. So uh, we are going to close it then here. And I believe we'll go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious God, for the blessings and the beauty of this day, we thank you. Help us, Lord, not to have conflicts and divisions, but to place our will and our trust totally in your life. And by so doing, Lord, grow your will in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to love the world and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.